That's what Jesus means as it was written of John. It was written of John, not because somebody spoke it, but because Elijah lived it and the Spirit wrote it down. And so Jesus then turns it around. How then is it written of the Son of Man that He should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? So Jesus answers now with a question. Maybe. I know there's a question mark in the, our edition of the, the Scriptures, the ESV. But of course, we recognize that the, uh, the punctuation marks weren't present in the original manuscripts. Why, why did the original manuscripts have no punctuation? Because punctuation hadn't been invented yet when the Scriptures were written. In fact, punctuation was an invention of later Christians about the 5th century as punctuation began to develop about five centuries later. Here we have no punctuation, so we're, we're kind of guessing when we say that Jesus phrases this as a question. Maybe He didn't phrase it as a question. Maybe He's phrasing it as a statement. But either way, He's getting at the same point. He's taking the conversation away from Elijah, and He doesn't want the conversation to go too far from His coming uh, suffering, from his, con- his coming being treated with, with contempt. So He says... How is it written that the Son of Man will be treated with contempt? Recognizing, of course, that Jesus is referring to places like Isaiah 53 or places like Psalm 22. Psalm 22, which is entirely about the crucifixion. Recognizing that Jesus is saying, how is it written about the Son of Man that He will be be treated so badly with such contempt and be treated with such violence? But verse 13, But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. So we've got a couple things to work through in that passage. And the most obvious thing is how Jesus just said Elijah has come and apparently he wasn't recognized. So as Jesus says Elijah has come, let's now take our thoughts back to Elijah and we'll start there and we'll sort of build from there and go from there. So everyone in the room, or not everyone, but most everyone in the room, you've got now the advantage of what was it, maybe two years ago, that we studied in depth the Gospel of Elijah. Remember that? And we, we had a, a, what was it, maybe eight months that we spent studying Elijah, or maybe a little bit, little bit more. And so in your mind right now, you're reloading all those thoughts, that context that's, that's in your mind about Elijah and how this man Elijah was a somewhat of a wild man. He was a wilderness person. He came from the wilderness He was closely associated with the desert. He was a fierce type of man. He was a very, very serious type of person. And so you remember, we're we're sort of getting back into our thoughts of what this man Elijah was about and what his mission was. And so Jesus says, I tell you that Elijah has, has come, but we didn't see him. We didn't recognize him. So now let's look back once again. Just quickly, the Malachi prophecy. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So I will send you Elijah the prophet. The scribes were looking at that and they were understanding that literally to mean the fella known as Elijah the Tishbite is going to appear. And we're all going to see him. He's going to be wearing that same hairy coat, that same leathery belt. He's going to be coming out of the desert 
and he's going to be the same person. That's how they looked at that and they understood that. Now, let's take that and let's think for just a moment about Elijah. And to help us do this, let's go to 2 Kings 2, verses 9 through 14. It's in your notes. This is the end of the Elijah story. This is just before Elijah will be taken without experiencing death into heaven by either what's typically thought of as the chariot of fire, but we, at the time we said this, it's probably a better translation to, to translate it as the angels took him. But either way, he's about to be taken. And they're going and they cross this river and he has with them this fellow named Elisha. Elisha is the one that Elijah called to come and follow him after the Lord commanded him to do that way back on the mountain when Elijah was feeling sorry for himself. So now we pick up verse 9. When they, meaning Elisha and Elijah, uh, had crossed the river, Elijah said to Elijah, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Lowercase s. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, If you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. So here's a condition. Here's an indicator. If you see how I'll be taken, then what you're asking, this double portion of my spirit will be so. If not, it won't. Verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it. So condition fulfilled. He saw the taking of Elijah. Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Verse 13, And he took up the cloak in the KJV, the mantle, which just means like a, a, uh, an equipping, an anointing, a, a job, a task, the, the office of prophet. As Elijah was, was the premier prophet, the first prophet, he took up the the cloak or the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other and Elisha went over. So Elisha asks, can I be given a double spirit of the spirit that is upon you? Elijah says, that's a pretty tough thing that you ask, but if you see me when I'm taken, then it'll be granted. If not, then it won't be granted. Elijah, Elisha sees him taken. And so now apparently this double portion of the what? The spirit that was on Elisha or Elijah comes onto Elisha. And then ironically, or not so ironically, we should say, we find if we were to continue tracing through the life of Elisha, Elisha performs exactly twice the miracles that Elijah performed. So this double portion thing, there's once again the perfection of Scripture. Elisha is given a double portion and he then performs twice the miracles that Elijah performs. And all that takes place because the spirit of Elijah has come to rest on Elisha. So apparently now there's this transferable spirit. And by spirit, I don't mean soul or person What I just mean is anointing. And I say spirit because that's the word the text used. This anointing or this equipping, this spirit that's given to Elijah is now transferred to Elisha. Now, fast forward to Luke chapter 1. 
Luke chapter 1, the one speaking here is the angel Gabriel. And he's speaking inside the temple while Zechariah, the father of John the baptizer, is serving in the temple. Here's the words of the angel. He, meaning this miracle baby, this miracle son that's in Elizabeth's womb, he will go before him, him meaning Messiah, in the what? Spirit and power of Elijah. And not just that, but furthermore, the angel goes on to clearly dictate that the spirit of Elijah, which will come upon John the baptizer, is the spirit to do the same thing that Elijah was anointed to do, which is to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, we studied John the baptizer, and we studied that that was what he was raised to do. That's what his calling was to do, was to make straight the path of the Lord. But in addition here, the angel also signifies that this role of the John the baptizer, this role, the spirit of Elijah that comes upon him, will equip him, will prepare him, will enable him to do the reconciliation role that, guess who? Malachi said that when Elijah returns, he will do. So Malachi said, Elijah's coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And what he's going to do is this work of reconciliation, this work of restoration. Now the angel Gabriel says the spirit of Elijah will come upon him and he will do what Malachi prophesied the spirit of Elijah will do when he comes. So they were looking for a real life Elijah to come. And that's never what God meant. God never meant that a physical Elijah the Tishbite would be reincarnated, or not because he never died, or he would never be returned bodily back to earth in order to bodily go about this work of reconciliation. That's never what God meant. He always meant this spirit that's called the spirit of Elijah because Elijah was the premier prophet. He was the first prophet as a office holder, holding the office of prophet. This spirit that was placed upon him is the same spirit that was transferred to Elisha and is now transferred in a way of speaking to John the baptizer. This is why John the baptizer will be asked in John chapter 1 directly and clearly, are you Elijah? And he will say, he will say, no, I'm not Elijah. Why? Because he wasn't Elijah. He was John. There is no physical Elijah coming back. And so John is right to say, no, I'm not Elijah. I was born John, and that's who I am. Nevertheless, Jesus will be asked, and Jesus will say, he's Elijah. Matthew 11. You recall Matthew 11? That's where John the baptizer is in prison. He sends word to Jesus. Are you really the one? Jesus sends word back and says, well, tell him the things that you've seen. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and he says some things about John. And he says, if you're willing to receive this, he is Elijah. So how can Jesus say he is Elijah and John himself say he's not Elijah? Because both are true. He's not Elijah. But Jesus says he is Elijah. Now, notice what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say 
that some form of an anointing that was an anointing that was on Elijah is now on John the baptizer. That's not what he said. Jesus said he is Elijah. Jesus feels perfectly free to use such metaphorical descriptions. He feels perfectly free to, to say this symbolic or this spirit that was upon Elijah and Elisha is now upon him. And Jesus doesn't have to explain himself further. He just simply says he is Elijah. And the scribes tripped all up on that because they were looking for something that was never to come. They were looking for a literal wooden interpretation of Elijah must come. This this reincarnated revisitation from this man, Elijah the Tishbite. Instead, he came, did his work, and now he's off the scene completely and they never knew it because they were looking for the wrong thing. Why? Because they were invested in a traditional way of viewing that prophecy that disallowed them from seeing what the prophecy itself pointed to. Instead of being open to letting the Scripture speak for itself. How would the Scripture speak for itself? Well, think of all the connections between Elijah and John the baptizer. The connections between John the baptizer and Elijah are spectacular. They were both men of the desert. They were both men who were said to wear a coat of hair. There are, in fact, two places in all your Bibles, two places, exactly two places, do you find the word for leather belt? Go home and check me on this. Just read your Bible this week and come back and tell me how many times you found the word for leather belt. It's in there two times. Once for Elijah and once for John the baptizer. They were both men who were bold in their proclamation of sin against the king of the land. They were both men who were opposed, not just by the wicked king of the land, but by the conniving queen of the land. And they were both men who were exceptionally plain and exceptionally clear in their proclamation of the sin, not just of the land, but of the leaders of the land. The connections between the two are remarkable. And so anyone who knew the Scriptures and was not handcuffed or chained to a specific way that we must understand that, should have been able to see this man, John the Baptizer, who is drawing enormous crowds, who is in the desert, who is eating locust and wild honey, who is wearing a leather belt, who is wearing a hairy coat, who is saying to the, to, telling the king to his face that he's a sinner, who is opposed by the queen of the land, who is proclaiming Messiah is to come. Wait a minute. This is the, the Elijah that was sent to proclaim the coming of Messiah. Had they not been so invested in a particular blocked in way of understanding that, they would have seen it as Jesus says, Elijah has come. And they didn't see him. They missed him altogether. So the scribes rightly understand the Scriptures, but their blind devotion to this traditional interpretation causes them to miss, miss the Christ. And so Jesus says, 
How is it written? Son of man, he must suffer many things, be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. So one last thing we've got to wrestle with, and that is the Jesus' statement that they did to, to him, meaning John the baptizer, as they wished, as it is written. Now, so the last really thing to wrestle with is, why does Jesus say, why does he reference as it is written of John the baptizer? Where in the scriptures did it say that John the baptizer was going to be maltreated by the people? Do you know? Doesn't. So why does Jesus say as it is written of him? To see this, this is something... I think everybody kind of has to wrestle with because this is rather perplexing of why Jesus says, as it is written. But I think to see this, we really just need to remind ourselves of the two types of prophecy. Your Bibles are full of prophecy. You might say, well, duh, we knew that. There's a whole, this whole section of Bible, of our Bible that's called the prophecy books. Well, there are two kinds of prophecies in your Bible. One is what we would call the written or the verbal prophecy, and that would be, you know, when Isaiah says, thus says the Lord, uh, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. Those types of prophecies, either spoken or written or both. But there is another kind of prophecy that once you recognize this, if you don't already, you'll begin to realize that your, your Bibles are far more full of prophecy than you thought. Because there's another kind of prophecy that's not spoken or verbal, but acted out. And this is a major type of prophecy in the scriptures. The type of prophecy that is not so much speaking words or maybe not even speaking words at all, but instead prophesying by way of acting out the prophecy. So let me just explain what I mean. And once once you see this, you'll start to realize, wait a minute, that is all over the Bible. So there are famous instances of prophets prophesying by acting things out. Think about Elijah with the, or not Elijah, but Isaiah with the frying pan in front of his face, or Jeremiah that had to lie on one side for so many nights and then the other side for so many nights, or Elijah, or or Elijah again, Jeremiah who had to take his soiled undergarments and bury them and then go back and dig them back up. Really weird things. Isaiah walking around naked, really weird, weird behavior. Well, that is a way of prophesying but not so much by words, but by acting it out. We find that all over the Old Testament. We find that, in fact, in the New Testament as well. Remember Agabus, who ties his hands together with the belt? He takes Paul's belt and ties his hands together and says, the person who owns this belt, this is what's going to happen to him when they get to Jerusalem. So we see that sort of thing all over the place, this acting out. And once you see that, you'll start to see it all over the place, not just on the part of the prophets, but you'll see it all over the place, a a way of acting out something that God is saying about what is to come. In fact, all of the sacrifices are prophecies, all of them. All of the sacrifices are acting out prophecies, particularly the blood sacrifices, the, the animal sacrifices. Every time an animal sacrifice was offered, 
what were they saying? They were saying, this is pointing to something that's coming. It's pointing to a lamb, the lamb of God that is coming. And by offering this animal as a sacrifice, I'm pointing to what's coming in the future. Okay, so all of those things. And, and once you begin to sort of marinate on that a little bit, you'll begin to realize God did that all the time. Now, back to Elijah. Elijah's life, remember he was the first prophet, the first prophet as the office of prophet. His life was a prophecy of John. His entire life was a prophecy of the one who was to come, who would be the forerunner of the Christ. That's why this is named the spirit of Elijah. Because Elijah's life was the life that God used as a prophecy of the one who was to come. So think about this again. The, the connections between the coat, the leather belt, the coming from the desert, the, the, the wild sort of personality, you know. Think, think about how much alike they were. If you have a picture in your mind of, the, of this guy, Elijah. Do you think Elijah would have been good lunch company? I think he would have been terrible lunch company. Can you imagine sharing a ride from here to Raleigh and back with Elijah? Can you imagine the awkwardness? I, I would just think you get in the car and then the whole ride, it's like, you know, what, what have you been up to lately, Elijah? You must repent. You know what? You, you need to just, and that the, whole, the whole conversation will be about your repentance because he was this fierce, direct, no-nonsense sort of prophet. John the baptizer. Don't you get sort of the feeling that he was the same sort of way? I just don't think John the baptizer was much into small talk. I think John the Baptist was all about business. He was all about saying, listen, you have sinned before the Lord. What must we do? You must not take any more money that's owed to you. Well, what must we do, John? You must do this. So that's what the, the same type of man, the same type of, of background, the same, same type of scenario. Now, let's think about how their lives played out. So both of them were well-known for what? They were well-known for opposing the, the king of the land, the king who was a quasi-Jew, Ahab, Herod. Both of them quasi-Jews. Both of them wicked people. Both of them, the Scripture portrays as inept rulers, easily duped by one person in particular, their mischievous, conniving, fully pagan wife. So there's Ahab and Jezebel over here. Ahab was a quasi sort of Jew. He was technically Jewish, but he was not a believing Jew. But he married the pagan Jezebel, who was an open Baal worshiper. And the picture of that arrangement was a picture of a wicked king that was easily manipulated by his much more wicked wife. And furthermore, the wicked queen hated the prophet and wanted nothing more than to kill the prophet. Now, in the case of Elijah, how that played out was Elijah, there was that Mount Carmel experience and they killed all the prophets of the Baal and everything. And Jezebel says, I swear this, you will be dead. I will have your head. Now, God, in that instance, delivered Elijah. And Jezebel did not take Elijah's life, but instead Jezebel was killed. So in that way, God deviated from the prophecy. But nevertheless, 
It was still the the wicked king, quasi-Jew king, who was a puppet in the hand of his pagan queen, and the pagan queen hated the prophet and wanted to kill the prophet. Same thing with John the baptizer. Herod, who was a quasi-Jew, wicked, but was also portrayed in Scripture as a man that was easily manipulated by his much more wicked wife, Herodias, or second wife in this case, who also hated the prophet, hated John the baptizer, and swore she would kill him, only in this instance, she did. And that's how it's written. That's what Jesus means as it was written of John. It was written of John, not because somebody spoke it, but because Elijah lived it and the Spirit wrote it down. And so now Jesus says, as it is written, just like it was written of John, it was written of John that they would do with him whatever they pleased. What did they do with John? Whatever they pleased. Do you remember the story? Ask of me anything up to half my kingdom. What shall I ask for, Mom? The head of John the Baptist. That would please me. Bring me on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. And then so it happens. Just as they pleased. And Jesus says, just as it is written. 